We hope you enjoy listening to this podcast of St. Louis on the Air, brought to you by University College at Washington University. With undergraduate and graduate programs, part-time, evening, and online. University College at Washington University, offering world-class education within reach. Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. Irish-born Robert Campbell was a force in opening the American West before making his mark here in St. Louis as a fur trader and entrepreneur. His St. Louis home is now the Campbell Museum. His story, told in a BBC documentary which will be shown in the public media commons here at Grand Center tonight. It's titled, Robert Campbell, Mountain Man. Joining me to talk about Robert Campbell are the documentary presenter Alan McFarlane, a descendant of Campbell's, and film director Michael Beattie. Gentlemen, thank you so much for being with us. Nice to have you. Delighted to be here. Michael, let me begin with you as kind of the driving force, I gather, behind this film. What was the motivation for it? Well, it's probably my favorite part of the world, the West. I knew very little, but just a little, about the fur trade. And Alan, who I didn't know up to this point, although he lives quite close to me in Northern Ireland, he contacted me on the advice of a mutual friend to tell me he had this uh, ancestor who was involved in the fur trade, and he was keen on seeing a film made about this ancestor. So I get people approaching me about all sorts of things. I'm an independent producer. I make films for everybody. Um, but when I did just a little research, and Alan is such a mine of information, I could not believe the depth and the richness of the story. I would say in 40 years of making documentaries, I have rarely found a story that has so many aspects, uh, that has so much um, adventure, uh, tragedy, a love story. Um, it's just an incredible story, and to have the opportunity to tell it uh, was just too good to miss. So it took five years almost before uh, I could finally convince the BBC that they should commission this film. So that's kind of the background. Alan, this is a relative very far removed from you, several generations. Why did you want his story to be told? Well, we were familiar uh, with his story in the family uh, because back in the 1940s when the last of Robert Campbell's children died, there was a big court case because he had left millions of dollars. Uh-huh. And um, basically the authorities uh, in the court here in St. Louis uh, charged a chap called uh, Judge John Nangle with going to Ireland uh, and to the United Kingdom and saying, basically, hands up if your name is Campbell and you think you might be entitled to some of these millions. <laughs> so, of course, there were nearly a thousand people or so put their hands up and said that they thought they were connected. They did a whole uh, genealogical study that the court here did. Um, and in the end, uh, my grandfather got a small amount in the end because he was part of quite a large family. So we'd been aware of it for a long time, but... Uh, I first came to St. Louis in 2005. I was over in Chicago in business and I, I took an extra day, f- uh, uh, flew down, saw the Campbell House Museum and thought it was just wonderful. And then we came back in 2009 when a cousin of mine called Pat McCullough had written a book on Robert Campbell. And since then, I've been back every every few years. Uh, I, in 2011, I finished a previous career and um, I spent a month. Um, Robert Campbell left a journal. And I spent a month in Wyoming and Montana and Nebraska following his trails up through the Rockies. And I discovered a really, really interesting story, as Michael says, full of all sorts of angles. And so I was keen really to to bring it to the fore because 
He left the fur trade in 1835 before the journalists arrived. So people are familiar with uh, um, uh, Jim Bridger and Kit Carson, mm -hmm. but Robert Campbell's largely forgotten. And so I thought really that it was time his story was told. Uh, so I, I'd approached Michael, as he said, and, and we've now produced a film. I think it's due public airing on the 2nd of July on television here. Right. And, and um, I think people will be presently surprised that uh, uh, they're obviously aware of the Campbell House Museum, but St. Louis should be proud of one of its uh, 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 foundation citizens, really, here. I mean, he was, he was a major figure in the city. Michael, there's a lot more to the story than just the, the mountain man part of the story. But let's, let's begin there. That's your fascination, right, that, that part of it. This expedition or expeditions they were on, give us some sense of what they were like. Well, it's incredible to think that this is a kid who left Northern Ireland penniless, pretty much aged 18, he ends up in Philadelphia, and then, after that, in St. Louis. So he's a farm boy from Northern Ireland. He knows how to ride a horse, presumably. He knows how to shoot a rifle, presumably. But it's so difficult for me to imagine what it must have been like for him in the St. Louis of that day. Andy Han, the director of the, of the Campbell House Museum, he painted a beautiful picture for me of what St. Louis was like uh, in the early 1800s that we're talking. The last outpost... Uh, a town of wooden buildings, uh, Indians around, French around, different nationalities, and Robert Campbell would have found himself in this situation. And there were the famous Ashley's 100, General Ashley's ad in the St. Louis paper asking for 100 young men to ascend the river to its source. Um, so in the second wave of that, Robert somehow fell in with these guys going. And over the next couple of years, he was to be four years in the mountains without a break back in St. Louis. Thereafter, for the remaining six years, he was back and forth. And it's just hard for me to imagine what an Ulsterman used to soft rain, no extremes of weather, how he could have faced being frozen in feet of snow. At times in his career, he had to eat his own dogs to survive, mm. eat his own mules, he was fighting Indians. He was making friends with Indians. He was rescuing friends uh, from Indian battles. It's just incredible to imagine what this could have been like. And for us, we filmed this just about a year ago at this time of year, and we made a fantastic road trip over 3,000 miles to go to some of the places that Robert would have gone to and would have been familiar with. And it's just incredible to think of him walking all that distance because they didn't tend to, you know, it's not galloping on horses, it's walking and having mules carrying your, your supplies behind you. So we can give a sense of what it was like for him, but it still mystifies me. Alan, does that kind of hardiness exist in the family today? <laughs> uh, I'm not sure it does. I think we're all terribly soft now. But, um, well, it was an adventure, I think. And, and uh, he's a young man. Uh, and like all 18-year-olds, he was fireproof. And uh, sure. so, so he decided on adventure. And he was obviously surrounded by people. I mean, he, he was mentored initially. He went west as Jedediah Smith's clerk. And Jedediah Smith's a very famous mountain man who discovered South Pass. Uh, he went as Smith's clerk. Um, they ran into snow uh, up in Nebraska. Um, and their mules died, and they had to send a rescue party back to General Ashley to get some more. Um, so they wintered with the Pawnee. Uh, we're very lucky that they took them in. Um, and I think after that, he, he went west. He ended up at the 1826 rendezvous. And 
um, continued this life in the mountains, a very hard life. Uh, and he writes these journals. He writes letters back all the time, and we have those letters. Um, what's interesting is that when the court case um, finished uh, in the mid-1940s, uh, a lot of these letters were either thrown out or went to uh, lawyers, had them. Uh, and one interesting story is in 1999, a chap um, um, called Carl Diebel phoned up from California saying, did the Campbell House Museum want a box of letters he had? And his mother had worked in a lawyer's office in St. Louis. He was a child, was a stamp collector, and his mother gave him this big box of uh, early 1800s stamped envelopes. Now, luckily... Uh, 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 people, some people might have done where they threw the letters out. He didn't. He kept the letters in them. And uh, Carl Diebel gave these letters back to Campbell House. So we have a whole archive uh, that arrived back in. Now, we've done a study and we're still outstanding. Uh, a number of letters that Robert Campbell wrote that somehow are still missing in the ether or a fur trade collector's got them, etc. Um, so there's lots of uh, 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 stuff still around, I think, to come back in. Michael, what were they doing out west? What specifically were they up to? Fur trading? They were basically trapping beaver. One of the reasons why Robert did so well and rose very quickly was that while the family were not that wealthy, he was well-educated, he could read and write, and a lot of these young men didn't have that facility. So um, he was highly prized for his skills in mathematics and in, in keeping records. Um, so he would have very quickly risen to be a leader of his own brigade. Uh, and these guys would have gone out in pairs mm. um, to trap the beaver, store the furs, and then eventually bring them back. Uh, but when you asked about the hardiness, and I do see certain similarities in my uh -huh. now friend, Alan. I knew him by repute, but we'd never met until this whole adventure began. Because I say in the script that, like Robert, Alan has been a leader of men as a soldier. Mm -hmm. um, he knows what it's like to face battle, as Robert did. Um, and he was also involved in the world of politics in Northern Ireland. And Robert... Uh, in his later life was very much involved behind the scenes in so many political events. He was friends with senior politicians. Uh, one of our fabulous interviewees was a chap called Clay Landry, who was the historical advisor to DiCaprio's film The Revenant. Mm. DiCaprio portrays Hugh Glass, a real-life character, who was an acquaintance of Robert Campbell. So they were contemporaries doing the same thing at around the same time. Um, but Clay is the man who would have taught uh, DiCaprio how to run, how to fire a flintlock uh, rifle, to spit the balls in to save mm -hmm. time when he was under attack, and to have people of that quality who are real experts. I mean, I'm simply a person who's a storyteller. I gather the bits together to tell the story, and to have people of that quality, historians and writers like Jim Hardy uh, and James C. Auld, who are passionate about this period, who know every detail. And Alan is a bit obsessive about the detail. He knows so much. And it's a story that keeps giving because even yesterday, Alan was reading something that he hadn't read before and found new information or confirmation of his theories about certain things. So there's lots more information still to be gleaned. Um, but... It's a story that richly rewards anyone who goes into it. Uh, I mean, the fur trade was such an epic period and full of such adventure. 
and they'd bring these pelts back by the ton when they or send them back or get them mm-hmm, back somehow. Mm-hmm. It was not a, a small operation at all. They brought them down the river. Alan would be able to tell you exact amounts on the value of, of, of the pelts, but they brought them down in bull boat uh, by the river, um, similar to the Irish coracle. Uh, it would have been a bull skin or several bull skins around a, a rough frame. They loaded these up. Uh, with the furs, brought them down the river, which was perilous in its in, in itself. Sure. Uh, Robert capsized uh, in the Yellowstone River, nearly froze to death, lost his gun, lost everything, lost the furs. So mm. it happened. Yeah, you're right. We we today in today's world have no idea of what life must have been like there. I have to take a break in a moment, but Alan, before we do, what did you learn through this whole process that you hadn't known before? Well, um, for the last two years, I've, I've been visiting and I've met a number of really interesting people, people who belong to the American mountain men who, 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 who sort of, if you like, live this life. Um, I became good friends with a number of uh, Shoshone from the, the Wind River Shoshone tribe. Um, and out of each of these, you, def- you fill in bits of the mosaic, bits of the picture, bits of the jigsaw. So I've built up now, I suppose, quite a lot of information. My wife would say this far too much because our house is full of it. Uh, and I'm hoping eventually to do a book of some description to try and put it all together to try and make sense of it. Yeah. In some ways, it, it very loosely reminds me of the Lewis and Clark expedition. Much of what you yeah. are describing yes. is what yes. we have been reading about yeah. and all of that. Have to take a break now. We'll do that and continue our conversation. We are talking with Michael Beatty, who is the director of the film, Robert Campbell, Mountain Men, and also with Alan McFarland, who is a Campbell descendant, what, great, 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 great nephew, nephew, four four (laughs) times, four four grades. All right, back to continue the conversation in just a moment. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Now back to our conversation with Michael Beatty and Alan McFarland about Robert Campbell. Uh, we're talking about the film Robert Campbell, Mountain Man, which is going to be showing at 7 o'clock tonight right here in the public media commons. Okay, we uh, time gets away from us, and there's a lot to talk about with regard to these early expeditions. But the biggest part of the story, I guess, Michael, I'll come back to you on this, is actually when he comes back and establishes himself in St. Louis and really gets going as a businessman. Yeah, I mean, the adventure story, uh, the thrill of the years in the mountains uh, probably takes more of the film because Mm. it is so thrilling. But unusually, I was blessed with two things in this film because normally telling a historical documentary, it is so difficult to find adequate resources, photographs, film, whatever it may be, and expert interviewees. But my good fortune was the house that Robert was born in had been dismantled brick by brick and is the centrepiece of this place we have at home, 60 miles down the road from my house in County Tyrone, the Ulster American Folk Park. So we actually have Robert Campbell's birth house sitting there. And, of course, here we have the Campbell House Museum, the house that was in Lucas Place in those days, um, where we could find photographs, paintings, all his documents. He was obsessive about detail. So everything he ever wrote or signed from the price of a painting for the house to all his bills and receipts for business, they were all there. So when he came back after his 10 years on the mountain, he slowly started to build what became a business empire. 
Uh, he had property right down as far as New Mexico. He created the biggest hotel in St. Louis. He had riverboats, gave Mark Twain his first job as a riverboat pilot. Mm-hmm. Um, so the development of the business, we actually skirt through uh, because what I think captures the public imagination more than that detail is the love story and the tragedy. The love story being that he fell in love with his sister-in-law's cousin. They first met when she was 14 and he was 33 and he saw this fiery, attractive young girl and over the ensuing years a relationship started to grow. So he waited uh, against the advice of his brother, of his friends, of Virginia's mother, who was very much opposed to the union, but by the time she was 19, she was able to make up her own mind. So they married, and they had a very successful marriage. And while people think about Robert, the fur trade, his business, I think Virginia's story also deserves a good looking at. We don't go into it in too much detail, but this was a fiery young girl who became a very... uh, significant woman. She was a real support and help to Robert. But probably unlike most women of that period, um, she was able to host businessmen who would call if Robert was away. She actually hosted uh, a group of Indians on one occasion, on her own with Robert away. She was obviously very well accomplished. Uh, She was a great hostess. And even as a young woman, she bucked the trend by travelling on her own. No chaperone, appalling her mother. So Virginia's story is also a very important part of that. Proving, Alan, that women were pretty tough back in the day uh, as well. Tough and resilient. Yeah, I think they were. And uh, and the particular sort of difficulty with the Campbell uh, marriage is that they had 13 children. Yeah. And 10 of them died before the age of eight with illnesses related to the time in, in St. Louis. Um, and the sheer horror of that um, uh, you know, is brought home to you. I mean, I, I, I have now have, uh, uh, three grandchildren and the, the prospect of any of them being lost at a young age uh, you know, is dreadful. Um, so the horror they went through of losing so many children, and you can see in Robert's letters, where he's describing to a friend that a, 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 a young son has just died and he moves into the third person and he says, you know, the author has just lost another mm-hmm. son. Mm-hmm. You know, he doesn't say, I have lost another son. Um, so it must have been really, really difficult, I think, uh, you know, in those years, losing so many children. Uh, three of them survived. Um, one of them, unfortunately, died in Paris at the age of 30. This is after Robert had died. Um, one of them had severe mental problems and remained in the house for 30 years without going out under care. Uh, the last, uh, uh, the oldest of them died in 1831, leaving the one who, 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 was, who, who, who was in care. And so then when he died uh, uh, in, in 1938, um, there was no will. So the court appointed Judge Nangle and the, the, the court case. The, the house was then sold because it was left to Yale and Yale I think sold it and, and a really perceptive group of St. Louis citizens, prominent St. Louis realised the importance of this little little uh, capsule of Victorian life because the original furniture was in there the paint, everything was in there um, so they started the Campbell House Museum now sadly a lot of the artefacts were put up for auction uh, some lovely things um, went, there was a, a polar bear rug with RC on it now what's um, o- over the years uh, as um, parents and grandparents have died um, 
uh, 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 people in St. Louis have been giving stuff back to the Campbell House. Mm. So they now have really, really well reconstituted what was in the house originally. There's obviously still stuff that's still outstanding, presumably in St. Louis somewhere because people bought it at auction at the time. Um, But they've had a revamp of the house. Uh, They spent a large amount of money several years back. And if people haven't been, they really should go because it's the most wonderful uh, um, snapshot of Victorian life. Yeah. Well, a lot of people have, needless yes, to yes, say. Yes, and hopefully yes. after this film, a lot, uh, a lot more yeah. people will. Michael, um, I have to say this. Looking at the pictures we have available of Robert Campbell – and Alan, forgive me for this. He doesn't look like a rough and tumble mountain man at he all. He certainly doesn't. And you know, it still amazes me that this young farm boy came into this life of adventure and succeeded so well. I mean, this is a guy who became partners with Sublette, um, who was so well regarded, and genuinely seems to have been a man of honour integrity, someone who the tribes came to to represent them in treaty negotiations, and he was pretty appalled at how the treaties eventually were upended. Um, So he has so many attributes. Clay Landry, who I've I've mentioned, Mm -hmm. the the historical advisor to Revenant, he said, in those years in the mountain, he just keeps doing what needs to be done. Mm -hmm. This is a guy who was key to so many historical events, but always in the background. He never sought fame for himself. He didn't want uh, a front-line, obvious presence, but he was always there and kept doing stuff. So I think that's that's really persistence, business acumen, and honour and integrity are what I see in this guy, who may not have been the the rough-and-tumble type, but he learnt how to survive Mm -hmm. and could actually reach a point where he saved his friends in battle. Alan, among the historical events that he lived through while his children were dying around him uh, were cholera epidemics, which were significant here, and the Great Fire, Mm -hmm. which would not necessarily have threatened him per se, but it was a major event uh, during this particular period. Yeah, and and, I mean, he he owned the Southern Hotel, which was the biggest hotel thing, and unfortunately, again, saw it burn down um, in an accidental fire. Um, what is interesting out of that, again, if you look at his accounts, he actually had it well insured. And I think, and <laughs> I think, the, and I think the insurance out of that allowed him to kickstart all, all sorts of other ventures. Um, his will um, um, is an amazing document. It's full of gold mines, silver mines, railroad shares, property in El Paso. And you're saying, what was he doing? And, and what he was doing was he was lending money to people and he was do- helping people start up businesses um, and then if they couldn't pay back, he would take a bit of land or something. Uh, and all his life, he he never really forgave the American Fur Company, which was John Jacob Astor and eventually uh-huh. Pierre Chuteau. Um And all his life, you can find him any spare bods who were heading up the Missouri to start to start a fur business challenging the American Fur Company. The man bankrolling them from St. Louis was Robert Campbell. And right up to the 1860s, he was bankrolling people who were challenging the American Fur Company. Well, Astor was very big in this too, didn't he? He had several expeditions all the way out to Oregon, the Columbia River. Astoria, yes, yes. That's an interesting story in and of itself. And then speaking of history, Michael, the Civil War also pops into the picture as well. What sort of a role did he have in connection with the war? Um, Alan can answer the detail of that, but he was very careful and very cautious. Uh, he he continued to work his business through that period, and Alan will know more of the detail of the Civil War. Mm. But 
I mean, I think anyone who goes to the Campbell House Museum will find so much detail there. Andy Han, I've mentioned, uh, Tom Gronsky, the senior researcher. These guys just bring to life the whole period. They're the guys who are the expert uh, experts. But I have to say, I've made documentaries for 40 years, but rarely have I wanted to continue on a personal level to investigate a story and find out more because it really is an epic epic story. And there's more out there, as you've indicated. Alan, did he profit from the Civil War? Um, he was very clever, really clever, I think. Um, he stayed, I think, on the Union side by and large. Uh, uh, by that time, the 1850s, his brother Hugh had moved from Philadelphia, and Hugh was set up in business with him here mm-hmm. in St. Louis. And both of them were married to Southern Belle. So the accusation was that they were secret uh, like Confederate backers and all this oh. sort of stuff. But in fact, he stayed largely with government contracts during uh, the, the 1860s. Um, he, he, he was on the Indian Commission, um, and there's a really interesting... He went to Fort Laramie uh, in 1870 to treat with Red Cloud, the Lakota chief, because he was, was a friend of his. And um, he, 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 the, the 1868 treaty had started to unfold, so they decided to meet with Red Cloud and talk to him. Um, and after they'd finished this, Red Cloud went back to talk to the president, and there's a lovely documentary... Uh, entry as to what was happening and they were they were having talks and things and Red Cloud eventually got fed up and uh, he, he stood up and he said um, I'm fed up now, I'm going to take the, the straight road, which is the railway mm-hmm. back to St. Louis to see my friend Robert Campbell mm-hmm. um, and it's lovely little vignettes to that, he was a blood brother of uh, a Salish a, a flathead chief called Insula um, and so he had very close links all the way through from the Laramie Treaty of 1851 uh, with the tribes because uh, he had worked with them. He had been in charge of the Iroquois Brigade in uh, about two years after he went into the mountains. He was put in charge of an Iroquois Brigade. Um, oh. And so he had a long history of, 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 of close friendships with, with Native Americans and was generally respected. There's a lovely story. Uh, about a, 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 an army officer who was up at Fort Pierre up, up Missouri and he tried to get the trader, uh, the trader to, to give him goods because he'd lost his and he offered the trader uh, a note on the US government and the trader said, no, no, I'm not taking a note on the US government but I will take a, a note on Robert Campbell of St. Louis. Mm-hmm. You know, one thing, we, our time is winding down but one thing that comes to mind, we talk about these people uh, traveling, going to this place, El Paso and going to the, in, into the mountains, the Rocky Mountains then going back to Ireland in the middle of all of this and coming back. Traveling was a big deal. I mean, it's not like you hopped on a plane or, or even a train, really, and just uh, got to your destination a few hours later. It was a big deal. I think you have to go on a road trip yourself to really feel, begin to feel what it was like for those people on foot in the harshest of conditions. We were there last year in lovely sunshine, imagining again and again, trying to imagine what it was like. We saw the Yellowstone River uh, in some state of spate, but it would have been much worse at certain times of the year. There were actually more mountain men drowned crossing rivers than killed in mm. any other way. Um, so, yeah, it's, it was a big, big journey. And to be literally thousands of miles into that uncharted territory, uh, far from civilization, these were the first guys to see a lot of these places. Just an amazing thought. And the other thought that often strikes me, every time I see on TripAdvisor or on a photograph anywhere or a film, The Gateway Arts, I will always now think of Robert Campbell because the site of his first business 
and St. Louis was right under right the Gateway there. Arch. Right on the riverfront. We have to leave it at that, gentlemen. A uh, fascinating conversation. I, I, I love talking about uh, people like this and times like this. I want to thank you so much. Alan McFarland, thank you. Okay. And uh, Michael Beatty. Thank you also. If I could just add one thing. It's a privilege for us to be on your show yeah. because in the 48 hours since we have arrived, so many people have spoken so highly of you. Thank you very much for having us. You know, what was that? I didn't hear, I didn't hear that. <laughs> Thank you. Thank That's you. very kind of you to say. Uh, a reminder once again that Robert Campbell Mountain Man is showing at 7 p.m. tonight in the public media commons here in Grand Center. It is sold out, testimony to uh, the interest people will have in that. However, it is going to be shown on the uh, Nine Network on July 2nd. I think it's 7 o'clock as well. So people who are interested in what we've been talking about will have a chance to see the film then. Gentlemen, thank you so much for being with us. Great to talk to you. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU.